Now, we are in Revelation chapter 13. should be easy for you to find. Just go to the last book of the Bible. We're coming to the end of our series that we've gone through this fall called End Times Super Trends. This has been a series on Bible prophecy. Uh, we'll have today, of course, and then next week we'll wrap that up before we begin our Christmas preaching and uh, worship. But if you have your Bible, Revelation 13, I want to talk to you this morning about globalism and the Great Reset as one of those end times super trends. Now, for the past two years, a group of global elites who make up the World Economic Forum have met in a place called Davos, Switzerland, and they've gathered to offer solutions to the world's problems where they address everything from the COVID-19 pandemic to climate change to poverty. Klaus Schwab is the founder of that group, the WEF. He was there with tech gurus like Bill Gates, and major heads of corporations like Coca-Cola, Goldman Sachs, IBM. They could all be seen rubbing shoulders, along with former presidents such as Bill Clinton and prime ministers and even celebrities such as Bono and the Prince of Wales. These world leaders announced their agenda last year they met again this year and have continued what they call, quote-unquote, the Great Reset. Now, we're all familiar with that term, reset. If you have a smartphone, you understand that you hold down the power button and you, you power it down and you reset it to its original settings. And they use that term uh, to say that the world condition as we have it now with the pandemic is a reason to hit the reset button, as it were, and bring in drastic changes to the global community. In fact, Klaus Schwab has said this, quote, the world must act jointly and swiftly to revamp all aspects of our society and economy, from education to social contracts to working conditions. He continued by saying every country from the United States to China must participate, and every industry from oil and gas to tech must be transformed in other words, he said we need a great reset to capitalism. In fact, you say, well, pastor, this sounds like tin hat conspiracy theory. It's not conspiracy theory if they tell you what they want to do and then the agenda appears on the cover of Time magazine as we have seen it, the great reset. Now, that's not all they want to do. They released a short video outlining the extra goals for the Great Reset. Here are some of them. You can go online, watch the video. I'm not making this up. They want to introduce a worldwide digital currency. They want to ration green energy, which entails a restriction to travel. They want an end to personal property. They want vaccine passports. They want to introduce something called UBI, or Universal Basic Income, which is a regular recurring government payout to citizens guaranteeing a certain level of basic income. They want a restriction, listen to this, on how much meat you can have in your diet. Now, I don't know how many carnivores we've got here, but that would not go over well with me. I got to have some barbecue. I got to have some steak and cheeseburgers every once in a while. Amen? Now, the WEF has said that the coronavirus pandemic is the historic opportunity to change the way the world operates. Again, here's Klaus Schwab. He says, quote, 
the pandemic represents a rare but narrow window of opportunity to reflect, reimagine, and here it is, reset our world. Now, in the 20th century, the goal of secular man's utopia was something called the New World Order. That was a term that you heard many leaders reference, including President Bush 1. But basically, the Great Reset is the same agenda of the New World Order. It's just got a fresh coat of paint on it. The main difference between then and now is that the COVID pandemic has provided the necessary catalyst to get the whole world on board to participate in pushing global government faster than ever before. So the TGR, the Great Reset, is just one component of a larger globalism movement that actually began at the end of World War II and it continues to this day. Now let me define a term for you, globalism. What does that mean? What do I mean when I say that or when you hear that buzzword in the media? Well, globalism means worldwide interconnection of governments, finance, culture, technology, information, resources, and people into a single system. It's bringing everything together under one authoritarian control. Now you say, why is this so important? The reason is because globalism represents a prophetic picture that the Bible says will be present during the end times. And we are seeing the setup, the stage setting for that right now at this very hour. And the most graphic depiction of this is given in Revelation chapter 13 where we get a snapshot of a man called the Antichrist and his worldwide empire that he will rule over. And as I said before, the shadows of the future are casting their presence back upon us. These future events cast their shadows on the present. And the purpose of this message is to outline this movement, this trend of globalism, help us to understand prophetically how the Bible already foresaw this and how we ought to live in response to it all. So, as you're taking notes today, I want you to turn Revelation 13 with me and notice, number one, the global authority of the beast. The global authority of the beast. All right, now let's understand here that in this passage that we're getting ready to read, that the Bible introduces a character whom is also pictured in the Old Testament. He goes by 25 different aliases. In Daniel 7, he's called the little horn. In Daniel 9, he's called the prince who is to come. In Daniel 8, he's called a fierce king and a master of intrigue. In Zechariah 11, he's called the worthless shepherd. Paul refers to him in 2 Thessalonians 2 and verse 3 as the son of perdition, also the lawless one, the man of sin. John's title that he chooses is the beast. That's the term that he gives for the Antichrist. In Revelation 13 and verse 1, we read about the beast. Now, why does John refer to the Antichrist as the beast? It's because of his animalistic nature. Just as a vicious predator is driven by the instinct to kill, so the Antichrist is going to be driven by lust and a power for dominance and control. And the beast will be satanically supercharged to carry out the hopes and dreams of all the globalists and the world leaders today, they have campaigned for years and years and years to push things in this global government direction. 
And the Antichrist will finally be the realization of that. So he's the devil's dictator. He's Satan's CEO. He's the beast as we read here. Now, what are some of his attributes? Well, as we go through this, I want you to notice verse 5 and 6. His deceptive speech. His deceptive speech, verses 5 and 6. And the beast was given a mouth uttering haughty and blasphemous words, and it was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. Verse 6, it opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming His name and His dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. So the, the beast we see here is going to be able to sway the masses with words of power, words of prominence. I think the beast is going to step on the scene and he's going to promise people everything, uh, a basic income, peace, a solution to the world's problems. If they would just hand over more of their freedom, he can protect them and he can take care of them. That's going to be the promise. But how many of you know that when the power elites grab the power, they usually don't give it back? Who will this Antichrist be? Well, he'll have the handsomeness of JFK the eloquence of an Abraham Lincoln, who have the intellect of a Winston Churchill, who have the inspiring quality of a Martin Luther King, but below all of that, he'll have the heart of a Stalin and the evil plan, the wickedness of a Adolf Hitler. And the, the beast, we're told, is going to use uh, his pulpit to spread his propaganda and to spread uh, his promises and his defamatory, blasphemous words against Christ and against God and God's people. Now, I mentioned Hitler. Hitler is a kind of a great prototype, if you look back in history, of how the Antichrist will go about his business. Remember, Hitler was kind of a dark horse political candidate who came kind of up through the ranks in Germany. He used his strong-arm tactics. He used his hate-filled political speeches to move the German people. And historians have calculated that if you take Hitler's hate-filled diary, that book called Mein Kampf, they say that for every word in that book, 125 people died during World War II. And yet the Bible tells us that the Antichrist, he will even surpass Hitler, Stalin, Mao, and all the other dictators of the past in his pen, in his tongue, and in his worldwide agenda. He'll be a master communicator. He will offer reasonable solutions to the growing problems of the world, and people will be clamoring to get on board with him. You say, how could anybody give up their freedom and worship a man? Because the world is deceived, friends. There's never been deception like what we see today in our world. Amen? You say, well, are people asking for this kind of leadership now? You bet they are. During the coronavirus crisis, British Prime Ministers Gordon Brown and Tony Blair, former Prime Minister, listen to what they advocated for. Here's the headline. Gordon Brown calls for global government to tackle coronavirus. Here's what he said. At quote, we need a single leader and a temporary form of global government to deal with the problems of this world. Back in the 1950s, there was a man who was the head of the UN, a man named Paul Henry Spock. He said, give us a man, be he God or be he devil, and we will accept him. His deceptive speech. Then I also want you to see here verses 7 and 8, his despotic slaughter. Verses 7 and 8, let's read them together. The Bible says, And also it, speaking of the beast, 
was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. When it says saints there, that means believers on the earth during the tribulation. Yes, people will get saved during the tribulation period. There'll be Bibles laying around. There'll be sermons on the internet. There'll be access to the gospel and people will be saved. Not to mention the 144,000 Jewish evangelists crisscrossing the globe preaching the gospel. The two witnesses, the angels declaring it from the heavens. People will be saved during the tribulation. And the Antichrist will not like that. Verse 8 continues, And all who dwell on the earth will worship it, everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. Now we read there in verse 7 about how he was allowed to make war on every tribe, kingdom, nation, and tongue, and the Antichrist, listen to me, he will make the despots of the world look like a stroll through Mr. Rogers' neighborhood. (laughs) During the tribulation period, those who refuse to assimilate into his regime, the Bible tells us, will be hunted down and they'll be killed. Not only those who convert to Christ during that time period, but also his wrath will be unleashed against the Jewish people. You know, that's really satanic. Anytime you see anti-Semitism throughout history, I believe it's satanically inspired. Because Satan has always, throughout biblical history, tried to wipe out the Jewish people. Why? Because he was trying to get the Messiah dead before he could be born. He knew the plan in Genesis 3.15 that there would be a Redeemer who would come and squash him, put his foot on, his, on the neck, and the, the Satan tried to prevent that from happening. He tried it in Egypt, right? He tried it through Herod. He tried it in the book of Esther over and over again down, down through history. But I'm telling you, my God is sovereign. <laughs> and it's not over till God says it's over. But the Bible tells of a holocaust that is to come in the future Now, historians tell us that during the Holocaust of Hitler, that one in three Jews, six million plus, were killed during that Holocaust during the 1930s and 40s. But Zechariah 13.8 tells us of the Holocaust that is to come, that during that time, two out of three Jews will perish on the earth as the Antichrist has his despotic slaughter, his deceptive speech. But then I also want you to notice something in verse 5 that I skimmed over, his decided schedule. His decided schedule. Go back to verse 5 and look at what the Bible says here. Beast was given the mouth, uttering haughty and blasphemous words, and was allowed to speak and exercise authority, watch this, for 42 months. Now you might just read over that and it won't register with you, but that verse is very important. Here's why. This is a time stamp. One of three given in the book of Revelation. There are three periods used to describe the same time period in the book of Revelation. There's time, time, and half a times. That's three and a half years. There's 42 months. That's also three and a half years. Later on in the book of Revelation, there's 1,260 days. They're all three time periods referring to that last half of the tribulation period, three and a half years. And what this means as I read it, glory to God, is that the beast will be given authority, but it will be... Uh, outlined and it will fall within the confines that God prescribes. He'll only be given authority to rule for 42 months. God will not allow him to be in power one second longer than what is needed for the plan to be accomplished. My God is sovereign and even during the tribulation there will be chaos but from heaven's perspective it will be controlled chaos because God is on the throne and God has written history in advance for our encouragement and for our learning. And I believe that in every generation, Satan has a man waiting in the wings, ready to deploy, 
And I, I love what Gary Frazier writes in one of his books called The Signs of the Coming of Christ. Listen to these words that he ends his book with. He says, quote, Somewhere at this moment there may be a young man growing up to maturity. He is in all likelihood a brooding, thoughtful young man. Inside his heart, however, there is a hellish rage. It boils like a cauldron. He hates God. He despises Jesus Christ. He detests the church. In his mind, there is taking shape the form of a dream or of a concept. He will dangerously present himself as a friend of Christ in the church, and yet he will once empowered pour out hell itself on this world. Can the world produce such a prodigy? Here's what he says. Hitler was once a little boy. Stalin was a lad. Nero was a child. Be assured, the devil has handpicked his main man. He could be alive right now. We don't know because we don't know when all of this will begin. But I believe that we're closer today than we've ever been. And friends, Satan is mighty, but God is almighty. <laughs> Satan may rule, but I'm telling you, God overrules. And I'm thankful that when I go to Psalm chapter 2 and I read that prophetic passage, the Bible says that the kings of the earth and the rulers over the nations say, let's throw off our bands and let's get rid of God, and God scorns and laughs in derision in heaven. You see, man makes these plans. Man thinks he can build a tower to reach to heaven. He thinks he can build a golden idol and have everybody bow down to it. He thinks he can implement a mark of the beast. But friend, God was going to bring it all down. I'm thankful today that when I go to the book of Daniel, I read in Daniel chapter 2 about a stone not made with hands. He was talking about the rock of ages, Jesus Christ. And one day that rock is going to come screaming through the atmosphere and it's going to wipe out the kingdoms of men and bring the Antichrist and Satan to ruin. So friend, don't lose hope. Don't think, oh, it's all gone. Uh, don't uh, lose your hope and your encouragement today because God's already written the story in advance. It's all under control. It's moving along just at the speed and pace that he said it would. And we get front row seats to sit at this point in history and watch it all come together. And friend, I don't get a doomsday attitude. I don't get down. I get hopeful because I know the word is true. And God's going to keep every promise that he wrote in this book. Because he makes promises and he keeps his promises. Amen. That's the number one, the global authority of the beast. That's what's coming to the world. Friend, you can escape all that through a relationship with Jesus Christ. If you know him, you can be prepared for the storm that is to come. But then I want you to see number two, the global agenda of the beast. So what will the Antichrist do to get this kind of power? And what will he do to control people? Well, the Bible explains this in verses 16 and 18. And we see this forming right now in our world. But let's go back to the passage, verse 16. Look at what it says. And it causes all, both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave, to be marked on the right hand or the forehead, so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark. That is the name of the beast, which is the number of its name, this calls for wisdom. Let the one who has his understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is a number of man, and that number is 666. So the Bible tells us right here that one of the major ways that the beast will gain control over the world is by forcing an economic system which will require people to accept this mark or else they will not be able to buy or sell. Now, if you 
continue to read back into that passage, you see that the Antichrist has a right-hand man. He has a lieutenant who helps him accomplish this goal. The Bible calls him the false prophet. And it will be the false prophet who will set up the infrastructure and implement this so-called mark of the beast. And the Bible tells us that in the tribulation, the citizens on the earth who will not worship the Antichrist willingly, if they kick against that, then they will be forced into it, forced to bow the knee where it hurts the most by going after the bank account. You see, the people alive during the tribulation will be forced to a choice. They'll be given an ultimatum. Either receive the mark, worship the Antichrist, or starve to death with no ability to buy or sell. Just think of this. Your bank account will be frozen. No one will be able to shop at the grocery store. Nobody would be able to eat at a restaurant, fill up at the gas station, pay utilities or pay a mortgage without that mark of the beast if it were to be implemented today. Now, there's a lot of superstition in our culture about this. I know when the vaccines first came out, there was all kinds of hullabaloo online about the vaccine being the mark of the beast. And friend, it just doesn't fit the prophetic picture. I'm sorry. There's a lot of sensationalists out there. There's a lot of people who just want to get things stirred up, and they don't really know Bible prophecy, and they just spin these tales out on Facebook and social media, and nobody ever takes time to actually explain clearly from the Word of God what's going on. Uh, as I read it, in order to have a, a mark of the beast, you have to have a beast first, and we don't have that yet. We're not there prophetically. And by the way, the Bible says that the uh, mark will be accepted in the forehead or the hand. You don't get a shot there, do you? <laughs> I mean, I'm no, I'm no doctor. I'm just leveling with you and giving you the picture that the Bible says so we won't be deceived, right? Now, there's also a lot of superstition and speculation surrounding the number that we read about there, 666. It's really a symbol, the Bible tells us, meaning the number of a man. You see, in order to understand this, you have to go back to creation. Well, what happened in Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2? Well, God created in six days. He rested on the seventh. On day six, the pinnacle of God's creation, he scooped dust out of the earth. He breathed into it the spirit of life. And what came out? Adam, the first man. So six is always the number of man, the day of his creation on day six. And we understand that 666, six times three, it represents man at his best and the most advanced that he can be, listen to this, without God. And the mark is emblematic of man's ingenuity to the point that he thinks he is a God. But guess what? He's still a six. <laughs> God will always be a step ahead and a level, many levels above. So God is perfect. He is uh, not lacking. He is complete. He is holy. He is righteous. And so that's the difference between the 666 and the 7 of God. By the way, the book of Revelation built on sevens, isn't it? Seven churches, seven letters, seven blessings, seven seals, seven angels. I could go on and on. So seven represents God's number of perfection and completion. Now, what is significant about all this? Now that you know your Bible, what I want you to see here is that for the first time in history, we're now to the point where all of the wiring necessary, all the technological prowess to achieve the marriage of biometrics and economy is upon us. In other words, what I'm telling you is we're living in a very special time where for the first time in man's history, you can see all the tools needed to make the mark of the beast happen. They're here. Not coming, 
there right now. Let me give you some examples. There's some companies in Europe and in the United States that have already begun the trend, listen, of chipping their employees. These chips can be used by workers to open doors, log on to computers, and even make purchases in the company cafeteria with simply a wave of the hand. Here's an article straight out of the Vice News. People are getting microchipped in Sweden, and it's pretty normal. Sound like the frog in the boiling pot of water, right? You just increase the temperature a little bit, and you get people conditioned, you get them used to it, so that when it's time for the Antichrist to step on board, all the infrastructure's there. Here's what that story talked about. It's about Biohacks International, a company in Sweden. Stylishly bearded and wearing a baseball cap, Jan Osterlin pulls a pair of surgical gloves and uses a wipe to sterilize the top of his worker's hand. Then with a quick jab, Osterlin inserts a preloaded syringe into the man's skin. The man grasps a tiny microchip. He receives about the size of a grain of rice encased in silicate glass and it enters his body. It invisibly embeds itself into his hand and the man exclaims, Oh look, now I'm a cyborg. Osterlin, the CEO of Biohacks, reports that he's chipped more than 6,000 employees. And it might be coming to a company near you. You see, all of this is coming together just as the Bible said it would. Listen to what Amazon is doing. In 2020, last year, Amazon launched a new palm scanning device. I'm not making this up. CNBC, Amazon unveils a way to pay with just your hand in stores. Does that sound like it's straight out of Revelation 13 or not? The palm scanning device is called Amazon One, and it connects a shopper's palm to a credit card to let them pay without waiting in line. See, that's how they sell it to people. It's convenient. It's easy. This will start in two cashierless stores in Seattle, but Amazon hopes to introduce the tech into other Amazon stores and sell it to third-party retailers, offices, and stadiums. You see how this is forming together? Listen to what our own government is wanting to do. The Wall Street Journal gave this headline a few weeks ago. Fed prepares to launch review of possible central bank digital currency. You say, what does that mean? You've probably been hearing a lot in the news about Bitcoin, about cryptocurrency. What is that? It's money that's completely digital. It's ones and zeros in a computer. It's not hard cash or coin. And what this article was talking about is that our Federal Reserve wants to issue a U.S. version of the, the digital dollar. Why? Well, it's all about monitoring. It's all about control, where they can see every single purchase that you make. And by the way, that door swings both ways. If they can deposit a stimulus check into your account, don't you think they could shut it down or take what they want to out of it? And by the way, <laughs> we got all those stimulus money. And we have to pay it all back now, don't we? <laughs> Been to the gas pump recently? Been to the grocery store recently? Hey, listen, there ain't nothing free, amen? Don't believe the hype, don't believe the deception when they promise you all this stuff. It's, it's all about gnawing away at your independence, your freedom, and about controlling people. You see, if they can track every purchase, every dollar, every cent online, they can see, oh, J John Doe went and bought a gun. 
Or John Doe went and, and, and bought this or, or, or did this with his money. And it's all about infringing upon people's privacy. I know that's not politically correct, but friend, I've read my Bible and I see where it's going. And that's the direction that this country and the nations of the world are headed. And what's so amazing about it is if you go back in time just 50 years ago, none of this was possible. But now through technology, now through the internet, now through digital banking, uh, now through purchasing power on your smartphone, you can see it's not that far-fetched. We're right there uh, where we need to be prophetically speaking. We're on the cutting edge of having all the technology that the Antichrist and the false prophet need to wire this world together for their evil purposes. The world stage is being set. I'm just waiting for the day when the curtain rises to begin the final act of God's divine drama. And friends, you may look around in the world and you say, I can't take it. I don't understand it. It doesn't make sense. You may think, oh, the world is falling apart. But I'm telling you, be encouraged. It's falling into place just like God's Word said that it would. And it's exciting to me to understand the need of the hour and the urgency of the hour and that I have the privilege to preach the gospel in such a dark and deceptive time for people who will hear and respond and be saved. You see, today, friend, listen to me. People are beginning to wake up to a lot of this stuff. Even people who never really understood the Bible, never really wanted to go to church, even secular people, even lost folk are looking at the direction of our country and the way that the world is moving. They're scratching their head. They're asking questions and they're wanting to know, is there anybody out there with some answers? I've got a book. I've got a Savior. I've got a message. And His name is Jesus Christ. You see, friend, and that's, that excites me. I had somebody who had been visiting the church. They came down a couple weeks ago and they told me, I've already told Brother Stacy. they said, you know why I'm here and why a lot of other people are here? I said, why? And they said to me, because people out here are starved for the truth. Hey, we've got a generation that's uh, uh, dying for the truth. They were looking for answers, looking for hope. And I'm thankful today that God gave us a book. We don't have to fear. We don't have to be scared. We don't have to roll over and die. We can take courage. We can read the Word of God. We can get together and worship and realize, hey, Jesus is coming back, and we ought to be busy about our master's business. Man, some of you was getting worried. You didn't think I'd get fired up today. But I'm telling you what, God is so good. That means, friend, you know what the next event is on the prophetic calendar? It's the rapture of the church. It's the coming of the Lord. Are you ready? What about it, folk? Are you living for the Lord? Would you be ashamed at His coming, or would you be left behind? Do you even know Him today as your personal Lord and Savior? I'm telling you, He's an able God, and He's a God of grace and mercy. He'll save you today if you call out to Him. We see the global authority of the beast and the global agenda of the beast, but then I want to finish up today. Let me give you some hope. Today, the global annihilation of the beast. It's about to get real good. The global annihilation of the beast. Now, the Antichrist global empire will be short-lived, the Bible says. And here's why. He'll have power for seven years. He'll have authority to rule for three and a half years in, in the way of the mark of the beast. But the Bible says that at the end of that tribulation period, that Jesus will return. He will shatter the Antichrist and his armies at a place called Armageddon. And Jesus will set up his earthly kingdom here on the earth to begin that millennial reign. And then eternity future. Now, if you take prophecies from Joel, Zechariah, Paul, and John, you get the full picture of how Christ is going to bring his defeat 
to the global agenda. Notice this. Joel 3, 2 says that God will gather all the armies of the earth in the valley of Jehoshaphat, that's Armageddon, to judge them. I will gather the nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat, and I will enter into judgment with them on behalf of my people and my heritage Israel because they have shattered them among the nations and have divided up my land. God is going to sell the score. He said, you've been picking on my people long enough, dictating to them what they can do with their land, telling little Israel how they should govern their people. Well, I'm going to get all you Gentile nations together. You're going to come like I'm leading you out to the slaughter, and you're going to gather at the perfect battlefield. Napoleon visited Armageddon and said it's the most perfect battlefield in all the earth, and God's going to gather them there in that little bowl. And then what next is going to happen? Paul says in 2 Thessalonians 2 and verse 8, that when Jesus Christ appears, that the battle, that he will decimate the Antichrist and all of those armies with just a word. And then the lawless one will be revealed, the Bible says, whom the Lord Jesus <laughs> will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. Think about it, friend. The one who spoke all the stars into existence. The one who calls them all by name. The one who stood up on the bow of that storm-tossed boat in Galilee and said, Peace, be still. The one who looked at the leper and said, Get up and walk. One day he's going to appear on the horizon of this earth. He's going to plant his feet back on the Mount of Olives. He's going to walk across the Kidron Valley, come to Armageddon, and he'll speak the word, and Satan will be defeated. The armies will be dusted. Friend, when it's all said and done, the only name that will matter throughout eternity is the name of Jesus Christ. You thought Hollywood had good special effects. Man, I'm telling you what, listen to what the Bible says is going to happen in Zechariah 14, 12. When Jesus speaks, the Bible says, And this shall be the plague which the Lord will strike all the peoples that wage war against Jerusalem. Watch what happens. The flesh will rot while they are still standing on their feet. And their eyes will rot in their sockets and their tongues will rot out of their mouths. That's not PG-13. That's R-rated. But that's my God. He's a God of war. And when he comes, he's not the lamb. He comes back. He's the lion coming in triumph, friend. And then look at what the Bible says in Revelation 19, verses 19 and 20. Notice here the scripture says very quickly, And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth with their armies gathered to make war against him who was sitting on the horse and against his army. And the beast was captured, and with it the false prophet who was in his presence had done by the signs which he deceived those who he received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped its image. And those two, listen to this, were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur. You say, how could you be so gleeful? How could you be so joyful about judgment? Because the one who hates your soul, the one who kept you in chains, the one who told you you couldn't be saved, the one who told you that God doesn't love you, the one who kept you in addiction and beat you down and kicked the wind out of you, the one who's the enemy of your soul, one day he's going in that lake of fire. He'll be the ultimate loser. And the Bible says that Jesus Christ is going to stand victorious you see you need to realize something child of God the devil is a defeated foe why God defeated him strategically in the garden he already told him Genesis 3 15 hey serpent it's checkmate because I got one coming who's going to put his heel on your head he's going to crush you you'll try and fight it but you can't stop it then he was defeated spiritually in the wilderness Satan thought he could take Jesus and turn him into a soft man there in the temptation 
But Jesus stood up to him three times. He said, Thou shalt not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And Satan had to run with his tail tucked between his legs after that encounter in the wilderness. And then the cross happened. And when Jesus Christ died, the Bible says in Colossians 2 that the, that the, that the demons, they were openly shamed and all the demonic strongholds were tore down. If it was that good on Friday afternoon, what do you think happened on Sunday morning when that stone rolled away and he came out with the keys of death and Hades, never to die, to be alive forevermore. And friend, the day's coming when he will defeat Satan finally on this earth. I'm glad I'm on his team. Friend, I've never rode a, a horse. I can't ride a stallion, but I'm telling you the Bible says that one day we're going to return with him on a white war steed. Giddy up! Here we go! We're going to go with the Lord Jesus Christ. And friend, that's where my hope set. So listen to me. When Satan reminds you of your past, when he wants to dig up all that stuff that's been under the blood for a long time, when Satan wants to eat your lunch, when Satan wants to tell you you're not a good enough Christian, you don't think about your past. You remind him of his future and say, hey, one day you're going to be in the lake of fire, so why don't you shut up and get behind me because you ain't got no authority in my life. I serve the king of kings. Friend, I don't know what's going to be better, watching Satan get thrown in the lake of fire or seeing the kings of the earth come and kneel before him, Muhammad, Buddha, all the kings, the potentates, presidents, prime ministers bow before him one day and say, you are who you said you were. You are king of kings. You are Lord of lords. And acknowledge that he is the true son of God. Friend, that's my hope today. You say, well, pastor, that's amazing that the Bible gives us all that information, but what do we do with it? Let me catch my breath for a moment. What should we do? Three applications and I'm done real quick. Number one, watch. Watch. Matthew 25 and verse 13. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day or the hour that the Son of Man is coming. We see globalism happening in our time right now. But look at the natural disasters. Look at the deception in our world. Look at the apostasy. Look at what's happening in the Middle East. All these signs coming together that remind us that the coming of the Lord is near. And we ought to be watching. Watching what's going on in the world. Taking note of how these things line up. Watching the news and having the Bible in our hand to filter it through Scripture. We see these things coming together. They should fill us with expectancy, urgency, and hope. Now, oftentimes I use this analogy. It's about this time of year. When you go out to the store, you go out to the mall or the outlets, and what do you see? You see Christmas decorations, don't you? In fact, I think it gets earlier and earlier every year, don't you? You go in Cracker Barrel in September, and they've already got Christmas stuff up. My goodness, can we have a little bit of fall, people? A little bit of pumpkin spice? Amen? We have to go straight to Christmas? I don't even like pumpkin spice, but my wife does. So let, let her have a little pumpkin spice, okay? But here's the analogy that I use. Christmas gets all the hoopla. Christmas gets all the attention. But on the calendar, there's a very important day that happens before that. It's Thanksgiving. So when you see the Christmas decorations going up, what does that usually mean? It means Thanksgiving's coming, right? And just when you see the signs of the return of Christ happening all around us, what does that mean? The rapture's even closer than that by seven years. So watch. Then this, witness. John 9, 4, We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day, for night is coming when no one can work. My goal hasn't changed. 
and your goal hasn't changed. We're to work for the Lord. We're to sow as much gospel seed as we can. And friend, your witness today may mean more than you think. That little witness that you have with somebody at the store or that nice, kind compassion that you might give to somebody out in your daily routine. Hey, you've been to the stores lately. Have you seen how hopeless people are? You seen how angry people are? How distressed people are? How hateful people are? You know why? Because they're miserable because all their hope is tied to this world. And they're all tore up about the things in this country. And I'm not happy about it either. But you know what? My destiny isn't tied to this America. My destiny is tied to the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's where I get my hope. If I base my faith on the election cycle, I'd be disappointed every four years. But my hope and trust is based in what the Bible says about what's coming and about who Jesus Christ is. You see what I'm saying? So we should be about our witness and praise God of what he's doing here in this place. What did we see last week? We saw two souls come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. You know why? Because we're standing by the word of God. It's not politically correct. It's not popular. I know it rubs some people the wrong way. And I know people have gotten mad and left. But you know what? I'm standing on that Bible right there. I'm not budging. I'm not shutting up. I'm not backing up. I'm standing on the promises of God. You know why? Because God brings life change through it. I am not ashamed of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We see too many short churches closing their doors, hanging Black Lives Matter and gay flags from their pulpits and from their from their church bells and so on. Friend, I'm not doing that. I'm sticking with the Word of God, the pure, undiluted gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, where God says, I love you, but I'm going to change you if you come to me. I'm full of mercy and grace, and I'll clean up a whosoever will. We ought to be about our witness. And friend, as churches close and as things get darker, you know what? People are going to find this place. People are going to start watching online. You're going to tell folk. They're going to hear about what God is doing here, and you know what it's going to do? It's going to build the church even greater. Watch, witness, worship. Hebrews 10, 25, Do not neglect to meet together as is the habit of some, but encourage one another as all the more you see the day drawing near. Let me just say this. It's not going to get easier to be a Christian in this world as we see the direction we're going. You know what that means? I'm going to need you more than ever. You're going to need me more than ever. Don't give in to the fear. Don't give in to the message of the world. You come and you serve God. You put God number one. You worship. You get with God's people. Be in God's word. Be in fellowship with a like-minded people. And you get yourself strong because, friend, we're going to need each other for these hard times coming down the road. I need you and you need me. And let us be unified by the gospel and the spirit of God. Because, friend... There's a remnant. There's a remnant who still believes. There's a remnant who still prays. There's a remnant who says, I don't care if you put chains on the doors of the church. I'm going to show up in the parking lot and I'm going to give praise to my Jesus. There's still a remnant of people like that here. And friend, we got to worship. One man who knew a thing or two about worship was Johann Sebastian Bach. Preston, you're going to like this. Donald Gray Barnhouse, a great Bible scholar, once told an interesting story in his book about Bach and the Second Coming. Listen to this. He said, The children of the great composer found that the easiest method to awaken their father was to play a few lines of music and leave off the last note. You talk about getting the musical genius triggered, that would do it. The musician would arise immediately and go to his piano and strike the final chord. 
Donald Barnhouse said this, I tried this experiment once at my house to see what the reactions would be. I woke early one morning, I went to our family piano in the home, and I played a well-known Christmas carol, Silent Night. I purposely stopped just before playing the last note. I walked into the hallway and listened to what sounds came from my family. He said, upstairs, our eight-year-old had stopped reading and was trying to find the notes on his harmonica. Another child was singing the last note lustily. Finally, my wife came out of the bathroom and said, are you going to finish playing that song or not? Here's what he said. He said, our very nature demands the completion of the octave, just as history demands that Christ must return and finish the final strokes of history. Right now, the world is in dissonance. Right now, the world is playing a song that's in a minor key. But friend, I've got hope. I've read the back of the book. I know how it ends. One day, he's coming, and he's going to strike the final chord. It's all going to be wrapped up, and God's people are going to say hallelujah to the Lamb of God who was and is and is to come. Friend, he'll come back, and he will deliver that perfect ending. He'll complete the octave. He'll write the final notes of history. And friend, I'm glad I know him today, don't you?